At this time, uh, the children ages 3 to 7 may be dismissed. Suzanne, are you taking the children? I see you on the way. So 3 to 7, you may go with Suzanne at this time. So we're talking about Abraham. I've uh, been at it a few weeks. Um, why Abraham? Because we are, uh, we are a people of faith, and Abraham is the father of faith. And so it seems uh, important that maybe we would know something about him, that we would wrestle with him. Um, and as we learn about Abraham, we learn about faith. But as we learn about Abraham, we learn about God. And God's the central figure uh, throughout the Bible, certain the Abraham narratives uh, and God is unchanging. And so the God of Abraham is the God of Isaac, is the God of Jacob, is the God of us, the church today. And so it's relevant and pertinent for us to understand uh, Abraham and understand God as he relates to Abraham. Um, you'll know I, uh, this afternoon about 1 o'clock, I was looking at my notes and realizing I had way too much information, way too much material. So the title of the sermon in your bulletin is The Sign of Faith. We were going to talk about circumcision. And you heard from poor Suzanne, she had to use the word circumcision about 25 times in that Romans 4 passage. But we're actually not going to talk about circumcision as of a 1.30 audible. Uh, we're going to talk about most of the sermon, but we'll save that for next week uh, so that we can do justice to circumcision and how it relates even to the New Testament. So don't do this often, but get the privilege of, of making, a, uh, making an audible here hopefully for your benefit, so we're not here too terribly late, and you can actually pay attention when we talk about this great, important topic. Um, to be a Christian uh, is challenging because you, you've got to do two things. You've got to navigate two worlds. You live in the everyday real life of struggle and challenge and difficulties of jobs, of financial issues, of heartache, of suffering, of family, of relationships. And so you've got to know that world. You've got to know it for your own self, but you've got to know it to bring uh, goodness to bear upon other people. You've got to live in the real world, right? Real struggles. And yet at the same time, uh, to know that well and to live faithfully in you've got to know something about the world of the Bible. Uh, the Bible is the, 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 where we find God's Word to us to teach us to what it means to be faithful in this world in real time and real space. And yet when you encounter the Bible... You encounter things, ancient text, right, from the ancient world about covenants and circumcision and ceremonies that seem so far and so distant from us. Uh, there's a famous book John Stott wrote called Between Two Worlds. It's a, it's a book written to pastors, but it's basically saying, hey, pastor, you've got to navigate these two worlds, the present world, the real world, and this world that is so foreign to us. And that's the challenge for you as well as a Christian. The stakes are really high. Because to live faithfully in this world right now, we've got to know something of the world of a long time ago, of different languages, of different culture, different contexts. So it's going to take a little work. And so we're going to attempt to do that today as we talk about this world, this word covenant. Um, we don't use that word a whole lot, um, but it's important because we do talk about relationship with God, right? We talk about that a lot. Evangelical Christianity likes that phrase. But God doesn't just talk about it in terms of relationship. He talks about it in terms of a particular relationship we have with him. It's called a covenant. So I have some, some relationship, uh, you know, with my, uh, uh, with my accountant. Um, you know, I have some relationship with my barista. You know, I, I hope to see her con consistently. I hope she gets my drink right. Um, uh, but it's a pretty shallow relationship I have with her. 
Uh, I have one with my mechanic. Uh, but I have a pretty significant relationship with my wife. We, we call it a covenant. A, it's a binding, a bonding. But even more so, God says that he has a covenant with Abraham and his descendants, which is us. And so it's important that we understand about this word covenant that we know so little about. So this sermon will have a little more teaching than, than it maybe normally does, but I think it's important as we, see, uh, as we see this word covenant and unpack it a bit. So first thing we're going to see, we're going to understand the basic uh, nature of a covenant. What is a covenant? Here's a definition I'm going to give you. A covenant in the Bible is agreement between, two, between God and human beings where God promises blessings if the conditions are kept and threatens curses if they are not. So it's an agreement in the Bible between God and man where promises are made if conditions are met, and if they're not met, then curses come. Conditions are met, there's blessing. If they're not met, there's curses. Uh, in the ancient world, there were uh, covenants among equals. There were parity. There were two people or two parties, and they made agreement, and they were equal. And then there were covenants where there was a, a greater power with a lesser power. We saw this in Genesis 14. You remember all the nations and kingdoms, they were working together. And so the, the powerful nation, the powerful king, would make a covenant with the lesser king or lesser people. And that there was a power play. And so the, the greater king would make a promise, uh, I'll protect you against the enemies. Uh, I won't destroy you. Uh, I will help uh, sustain life for you. If you meet the conditions. And the lesser people or king would look back and say, the conditions were that you pay tribute. You give money or you give servants or you give slaves. You give something in response. So it was a covenant among unequal parties. And they would bind themselves together for the good of both. That's a, that's a convention used in the ancient world often called a suzerain-vassal treaty, where suzerain is the king and the vassal is the, the, the subject, and they would make a, a treaty together. We'll do this together for our own mutual benefit. That's what God does with Abraham. God is the greater power. He is the, the, the God Almighty, El Shaddai, it says. And he's going to make a treaty with the lesser, that is Abraham and the descendants, human beings, and he's going to give them conditions that they're called to meet. And if we do, this thing works out well for both parties. Or so we think. But that's how it goes. So a covenant has parties. Here God and man promises, conditions, blessings, and curses. Um, and, which we'll get to next week, uh, there's often signs of the covenant. There's something that ratifies the covenant. that it says it's official. It's like a wedding. Um, the vows, they say, I do, and yet there's a ring that's placed, right? The ring doesn't make the couple married, but it ratifies, it confirms that this relationship is sealed. God's going to do that with Abraham through circumcision, as we'll explore more next week. So you got a basic definition? That's a covenant. See where we are? Second point. And uh, unfortunately, point two and three will not be as short as the first point. But second point, it is the, the covenant promises of God. The covenant promises of God. Let's see how this thing works. Look at verse one, uh, if you have your Bible with you. When Abraham was 99, 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the Lord Almighty. 
Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make a covenant between me and you and will multiply you greatly. And he goes on to enumerate all the blessings and all the promises that he's going to give Abraham. It's God's promises. It's the suzerain, the king's part of the deal. I'm going to make promises to you, the lesser, to do these things for you. Now, Abraham's 99. Michael left us last week at chapter 16 uh, at age 86. So 13 years have passed. And Abraham's thinking, well, you've made a covenant with me before, but time is passing. There's a lot of wondering. There's a lot of questioning. Um, the, the, the Bible skips fast over those years. Can you imagine what those years would have been like? There's questions, doubting. Are you going to come through? Uh, in the meantime of waiting, Abraham took things in his own hands, right? He took his maidservant, Hagar, had a child, Ishmael. God, uh, the, if the covenant's going to be fulfilled, you're kind of slow. Uh, you're not doing a real good job. So uh, let's make this deal. We'll figure it out ourselves. You know, uh, we'll have a child. But the Lord says a few verses down, he says, uh, no. Uh, Abraham says, uh, he fell on his face. <laughs> Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael may live forever. God, thanks I hear the promise, that seems crazy, uh, Ishmael will do. You know, we figured it out. And God says, no, you're going to have a child through Sarah, and it's going to be Isaac, and he is the one that will be the bearer of the covenant for you. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? It sounds crazy. God had already given these promises in chapter 15, but he re- reiterates them, and he one-ups them uh, almost at every point. The promises in 15 are that I'll make a covenant with you, Abraham. But now in 17, he says, I'll make a covenant with you and with all your descendants after you. It will be a covenant with you and your descendants. And Romans says that we are heirs of Abraham. He's making a covenant with us. We are the descendants of Abraham by faith. He says, so much so, I'm going to do this, that I'm going to change your name from Abram, which means the exalted father, to Abraham. You are the father of the multitude. And your wife, Sarah, I'm going to change her name too to show that I am going to keep my covenant promises to you. The Lord is guaranteeing these things. Verse 6, you will be exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into a great nation. Can you imagine Abraham? He's like... I'm 100 years old. Like, can we just have like a child? <laughs> we just start there, you know? I mean, you've been promising this, Lord, for quite a while. And now the Lord goes on and on. It's, it's this lavish promises. There's got to be some cognitive dissonance here. I, I'm trying to live by faith and trust you. Um, uh, we, we found a plan B, but that's not going to work either. And then you come back with all of these promises. It goes, it goes on. Kings, he says, shall come from you. Abraham's going to be royal. Then he says in verse 7, this is, this is new language. He says this, that it will not just be uh, a covenant on this earth. I will establish my covenant between you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. 
And I will make to you and your offspring after you, the sojourners of the land, an everlasting possession. The covenant will be everlasting. This land promise that I gave you will be an everlasting land promise for you. Um, those, are big, those are big words, right? It's confusing. Um, chapter 15, the Lord said that Abram and his people were going to go into Egypt for 400 years. And that, that those descendants would actually not see the land. But that, but that one day, maybe. And here he's saying, this land is going to be your descendants. You and your descendants, eternally. Um, re- reading enough commentaries, you see that um, this is sort of a first glimpse, a first hint of resurrection. How is Abraham going to inhabit the land? How is Abraham going to have this covenant? There's something beyond this life and this world that the Lord is pointing to. This will be eternal. This will be everlasting. You will possess the land as yours. The resurrected body. But God is promising a lot. It's pretty good. It gets better. This is the heart of the covenant. This is the heart for us. This is the heart of the gospel. I will be God to you and to your descendants. In verse 7, I will be their God. Um, in your spare time this week, Google, uh, Google other religions or other philosophies that make this kind of promise. When God says, I will be your God, He says, I will be with you. I will offer you my presence with you eternally. I'm bonding myself. See, we don't know much about covenant because our covenant commitments are so shallow, right? We change our mind. We're fickle. But God is binding himself to Abraham and his descendants forever to be their God. I will be with you. I will be present. There's no religion. There's no philosophy. There's no worldview where God says, I have bind, bound myself, pledge myself to you. Through all the struggle and all the worry and all the weight and all the struggle, maybe, maybe think of your own world, all the difficulty. Do, do you know that the hope of the gospel is a resurrected body in the presence of God forever? Does that, does that ever cross your mind? Uh, that should motivate us on the worst days. That might be the promise that gets you out of bed one day when you don't want to get out of bed. But God has promised eternally. He has committed himself to us. Jesus would say, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, Abraham wants God's presence. Moses comes down from Mount Sinai and they've, they've worshipped idols and they're going to move on and the Lord's not sure he's going to go with them. And, and, and Moses says, if you don't give us your presence, we're not going. If we can't have your face, if we can't have you, we don't want to go. It's David after he confesses the sin of Bathsheba. He says, I want your presence. In your presence only is life. That's what Jesus offers. That's what we want. That's what we most fundamentally need. Two weeks ago, uh, little Josiah, some of you know, our seven-month-old was in the hospital. and um, We went in and... Uh, you know, if you're a parent, you could probably relate. And we got in the, the, the ER about 10, 
And uh, he screamed in the ER from about 10 to about 4 a.m. Uh, the whole place thought, like, what in the world? He screamed for like seven hours. And uh, every time we'd get quiet, those poor uh, nurses and doctor residents would come in and want to look at him grim and uh, t- t- do another x-ray or do something different. And he would scream again. And uh, we, we could not console him. It was so horrible to watch. But they, they kept trying to get the IV in once we knew we were admitted. And they couldn't get it in this arm. And then they finally were trying to get in this arm. And, and they had me just lay on top of him like this. So I'm holding both his arms, his little body. I'm this, and he's screaming. You know, the scream with the little tongues fluttering. He's just screaming. And, and they're trying, two ladies are holding his arm, trying to get the tourniquet. And I'm just looking at him. And he's got his face and he's screaming. He's, I'm right here. I'm with you. I'm not going to go anywhere. And he's screaming, and I don't know if it matters, but I'm going to keep saying, I'm, you've got my presence. I'm right here. I love you. It's going to be okay. And, and somewhere it felt like it mattered a little bit where he, he would stop and make contact before he went on screaming again and again and again. I couldn't do anything. I, I wasn't powerful enough. I'm not the sovereign Lord of the Scripture. But all I had as a father was to offer my presence, right? Like, I'm not going to leave. I don't care what's going to happen, I'm not going to leave. And that's what's happening here. God's coming to Abram, and he says, you've gone through a lot. I've brought you a long way. You've moved from pagan world. I've given you the land of promise, but not really. I've promised you a seed, but not hasn't come. But I'm going to give you my presence for you, all those that follow in faith, for eternity. I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to forsake. In fact, I'm going to walk through hell with you to be a God to you, that you would be my people. The weight of the covenant rests on the promises of God for us. If you're struggling, just, just think on that for a bit. God is pledging himself to us. His goodness, his presence, eternal life. It should be overwhelming. Those are promises, but they're also conditions. They're conditions to the covenant. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I started to name the title, the, The Conditional Nature of the Unconditional Covenant. I thought it might not be, sound that great and might be confusing, um, but that's what I'm going to try to explain in a second. Um, the conditional nature of the unconditional covenant. It's unconditional, but it's conditional. Um, how does that work? The covenant is everlasting. Uh, the promises are sure, but there are conditions. There are obligations uh, for the vassal, for the lesser party to the king. Is it unconditional or conditional? Yes, it is. Uh, One one commentator says this, When the Lord swore by himself to give Abram the land and the seed, he committed himself to ensure that his promise would be fulfilled. He will do it. He guaranteed that Abram's line would bless the world. He will do it. However, his oath did not ensure that every physical descendant of Abraham would participate in this blessing. What does that mean? 
The big picture, God's going to do it. God's going to, it's blessed Abraham, his descendants. God's going to build his church. He will continue to do it. The question is, will we be a part? I mean, we, meaning us as individuals, be a part of the covenant promises of God. Will we partake? Um, this is where circumcision comes in, while we'll pick up on this next week. Um, the, the role of the prophets. If you've read Isaiah Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Hosea. Um, often we think of prophets as telling the future, foretelling. They do that a little bit. But their main role, you know what they are? They're covenant enforcers. They take the covenant and they keep saying, Oh, Israel, oh, Israel, you've wandered. Right? Oh, Israel, you've forsaken your first love. Oh, Israel, you've, you've whored yourself and you've gone after other lovers and you've turned aside. Oh, would you come back to the covenant? Would you come back to the faithfulness? Oh, oh, Israel, you've turned from following the way of the Lord. The prophet's role is to call Israel back to covenant faithfulness. Where does that language come from? Chapter 17. God's covenant with Abraham. Verse 1. Abraham was 99 years old. He appeared to Abram and said, I am the God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Walk before me and be blameless. This is your part. That I may make, it seems conditional, if you do these things, then I will do these things. Abraham has an obligation to be faithful, to be obedient, to follow after. Walk before me. It means, uh, it signifies every area of life and the totality of what you do, everything you do, you are to walk in faithfulness to the covenant king, to the Lord. Um, Y'all have all seen the articles about Kanye and the, the album come out. Some of y'all, y'all picked that up, right? We, um, I wonder how many sermons he's quoted in on this Sunday. Um, but uh, you, you probably see, saw him on Jimmy Kimmel, and uh, he said, uh, Kimmel says, uh, so Kanye, you're a, are you a Christian rapper now? Do you see this? And he says, I, I'm not a Christian rapper. I'm a Christian everything, right? I'm a Christian everything. That's what he says. He just quoted uh, chapter 17 uh, at Abraham. Walk before me means everything you do is now shaped around this relationship with the covenant God. My life is surrounded in what I do. That's the call for us. That's our obligation is the covenant. And he says the second part, and be blameless. And this word uh, doesn't mean blameless in the sense necessarily of perfection. It means um, there is a wholeness of relationship. There is an allegiance. There's integrity that we are go after the Lord and His law. There's fidelity. There's faithfulness. And so the Lord Almighty, El Shaddai, He will keep His promises, all these grand promises, if we walk before Him and are blameless. How are you feeling? You a little nervous? He goes on. He says it again in verse 9. I'm not making this up. Verse 9, He says, and God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout your generations. How's this sitting with you? 
I thought the covenant was all about grace, right? Aren't we saved by grace, and now we have all these obligations? Obedience? This is challenging. It is all of grace, and yet we're called to obey. Uh, how was Abraham made righteous? We looked at it in verse chapter 15. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God by faith, and God credited him, God debited him, God reckoned him as righteous, and we believe in Jesus, and we are credited as righteous by faith. Same for us. So, how is this reconciled? This is going to take a little, you know, Bible gymnastics here. How do we do this? The unconditional, the conditional, how does this work? If you got to, if, if, we, if we were reading well, we read verse 15, chapter 15 to chapter 17, we should, all should have been like, this is kind of weird. Why are we talking about covenant again? We just did that in chapter 15, right? Right? Do you remember that? We just did this whole thing. Why are we talking about it again? And do you remember what happened in chapter 15? God inaugurates the covenant, and what he says is this. Um, there's going to be two parties. Ryan preached on this, and um, this covenant's going to be made. We're going to do it the way uh, the culture does it, and we're going to cut a covenant. We're going to take all these animals, and we're going to cut them in half, and we're going to put half the animal on this side, half the animal on this side, and the two parties are going to come together, and we're going to walk through the pieces of, this, of these animals signifying that we are going to keep our obligations. We're going to keep our part of the covenant. And if we don't keep it, may what happens to these animals, them cut in half, may it happen to us. That happened in chapter 15 for those that missed that week. But something else happened in chapter 15. Abraham was going to have to walk through that covenant with God. Kind of scary. But what happened to Abram? You remember? He fell into a deep sleep. The Lord put him asleep, and while he was asleep, this smoking pot, this theophany, this image of God in, in an image uh, of an image of holiness and fear and reverence. While Abram is asleep, this smoking pot as a picture of God goes between the pieces signifying that if either party fails to keep their obligation, the Lord, the Lord himself, will take the punishment, that he will be cut off, that he will fulfill the covenant. So this ceremony has already been done. It's already happened. We get to verse seven, chapter 17. We're like, why are we talking about this again? We're talking about it because the covenant in 17 is going to be ratified. It's going to be stamped. Chapter 15 is all of God's initiation. It's all the Lord. Abraham is asleep. He does nothing. Zero. God makes the promise. God inaugurates the covenant. But in 17, the covenant will be confirmed. It will be ratified. It involves human response. That's true for us in the gospel. And how do we respond? We respond by faith in two ways. One... There is a seal, there is a sign of the covenant. Circumcision in this instance, we'll talk about that. We are branded, literally branded in the flesh. We'll see the parallel to baptism as we are marked by God next week. It's a sign of faith. But the other part of faith is that we what? 
We walk before Him and are blameless. We live our life. There's a ceremony that says, I belong to the Lord. And then there's a walking out day by day that says, I belong to the Lord. I meet with the Lord. I pray to the Lord. I come with God's people. I gather. I walk in faith with the Lord. And chapter 17 is the second half. It's the confirming part of it. The ring doesn't make you uh, married, but it solidifies the bond. It seals it. It's the sign. Every time you see the ring, you think, I, there is a covenant commitment between me and my beloved. And that's what we have. One last thought on this before we move on. There's a, a distinction made here between a necessary component, a condition, and a meritorious condition. I told you it was going to be a little teaching, not too much. Necessary and meritorious condition. Faith is a necessary condition of the covenant, but faith is not something we earn, right? We don't earn God's favor. We don't earn salvation. It must be present. It's a condition, but it doesn't earn it. Let me give you an example. Uh, The World Series just ended, you know, Game 7, and um, imagine you were there. Um, Was entry into the game uh, an an unconditional, uh, uh, let's see, is a is, is entry conditional or unconditional? How do you get into the game? It's conditional, right? The only way you enter the stadium is if you have a ticket, right? No ticket, you don't have the conditions, you can't come into Game 7 of the World Series, right? It's a condition. Now, a friend of yours may say, well, uh, well how in the world did you afford a ticket to Game 7? I mean, that's been like hundreds, thousands of do- dollars to get into this game. And you say, oh, no problem. It was a gift, Right? My father gave it to me. It was given to me. It was a gift. And so it was the condition, the ticket was the condition to get in, but you did not earn entry into it. It was a gift. It was given to you. Do you understand the distinction? It's necessary, but you didn't earn it. So is salvation. Faith displayed in circumcision and walking before the Lord is necessary. It must be there. But it's not meritorious. We do not earn even faith. Ephesians tells us, For grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. What's not of yourselves? Grace and faith. Our own faith is a gift from God given to us. It's necessary for salvation. Did you know that? We hear the gospel. It's necessary for us to believe by faith and repent. It's necessary. But it doesn't earn our salvation. It doesn't merit it. Our faithful daily obedience to walk with God, to mortify the flesh, to put away sin. It is necessary. It validates. It verifies that we are a part of the people of God. It is a condition, but it doesn't earn our salvation. For Jesus has earned our salvation. You follow that? A little bit of Bible talk there. You follow that? Necessary but not meritorious. Does that remove the call to obedience? Well, it's, I mean, does it really matter? I mean, it's kind of God anyway. I can kind of do what I want to do. Yeah, it matters. Yeah, it matters. Our obedience, our, 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 our faith displayed in obedience demonstrates that we actually belong to Jesus. Right? G. 
Jesus would say, well, if you love me, what? You'll keep my commandments. Do we keep the commandments to get in the kingdom of heaven? No. Jesus is going to purchase the kingdom for us on the cross. But if we love him, if we belong to him, if we are part of him, then by faith we what? We keep the commandments. It's the way it works. It's a result of grace. We are loved, but we love in return as obedient vassals, subjects to the sovereign king. Now, let's conclude. You, you may be saying, well, that, that, that sounds kind of easy, you know. Um, or, or, or maybe, you know, um, that sounds like preacher jargon, Bible talk, you know. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm thinking about, you know. Um, uh, you know, Adam had to be obedient, right? Didn't he? Adam had to be obedient. Don't eat this tree uh, and you'll live. If you eat of it, you're going to die. It, it is, in many respects, meritorious. It was earning. It was merit in some regard. And Adam, what? He failed. And so what happened? He was cursed. They kicked out of the garden. Adam dies, and we die. But we just get to, like, believe by faith. That's kind of nice, right? Are the, is God lowering the standard? Is God compromising something of his holiness? Is there some kind of deal being made? How does this whole covenant thing work? Remember we said in 15 that when the, the smoking pot went through the pieces that had been cut off, the Lord promised himself. He pledged himself to do what we could not do. That if we failed the covenant, that if Abram did not obey fully, righteously, the covenant had a promise that the Lord himself would fulfill the covenant. And so that's what Jesus does. Jesus comes and he says, and Jesus uh, goes through the pieces. Uh, J- Jesus lives the perfect life of obedience. Jesus literally walks blameless before the Father. Uh, Jesus uh, fulfills the law in every respect, the negative and the positive aspects of the law. Jesus never has a thought that's impure. Jesus does everything Abraham and you as descendants are supposed to do on our behalf. But then on the cross, Jesus goes and he's cut off. He's torn in two. The thing we need most, the thing Abraham need most was the presence of God. And on the cross, we sing it, you know, the Father turned his face away. At the cross, in that moment, there was a... Jesus was cut off from his Father in our place. So the covenant's intact. Man has fulfilled the covenant. We've done everything we've ever been asked of. You have done everything perfectly you've ever been asked of by God in Jesus. Can you think about that? I know my mind and my own heart. It's hard to imagine, but that's been declared over me. And knowing that I didn't do those things, Jesus was willing to absorb all of my sin, all of the wrath. There wasn't just a piece of flesh cut off as in circumcision. He was died. He was crucified. He was cut off on our behalf. What's our part of the covenant? We should run as fast as we can to Jesus. We should cling and hold on 
by faith in what He has done for us, is it too much that He asks us to obey? He's purchased it. He's earned it. And He's asking us to come by faith to trust Him. In Jesus, in the cross, we are promise, we are covenant keepers because of the faithfulness of God. May we live by faith as we trust Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, uh, in some ways that was more complicated than it needed to be. Uh, in other ways, we could talk about your covenant and your word uh, forever. In fact, we will. Forever and ever and ever, we will wrestle with the reality that you have done what we could never do. That you lived in a way that we could never live. That you fulfilled both the positive aspects of every good thought and intention. Man, as he was made to be. At the same time, Lord, you took upon the hell of the cross on our behalf. Oh, what good news for us. May we live as your people by faith and that we have such a covenant-keeping God. May it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand as we sing this song and take up our offering?